You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Heard Tell, one of our favorites, a man I greatly respect. I'm proud to call him a colleague at ordinary-times.com. We go to him in times of trouble, but he's not Mother Mary. He is Dennis Saunders, our friend up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, my friend, always great to have you on the program. Welcome back. Good to be back. Um we always joke every time I have you on when we pregame this, I always say, well, one of these days we'll talk when there's not some kind of mass event going on. <laughs> but yeah. unfortunately, you've been in Minneapolis the last couple of years. We all know the history there. You've been uh, disproportionately in the news for bad stuff. The thing in Buffalo, the shooting, we know the racial component now. We know quite a bit about the shooter uh, we covered on Hertel. Uh, I didn't use his name, but we read every single name of the victims, including the wounded. Before we get into the the ugly side of this, just on a human level, because you've lived through this in Minneapolis a couple times now, uh, you're also a pastor in that community. Just on a human level, what do you tell the people of Buffalo, that community, as they are on the very front end of this grieving process of dealing with this sort of thing? I guess you tell them that it's to, I think that you counter this situation with love and that you try to love each other and to try to love each other across racial lines and sexual orientation and all of that, that, you know, the person who came, the shooter basically was filled with a lot of hate um, for whatever reason. And I think that the best way that you can respond to that as a community is responding in some way with love and coming together, um, showing love to those around you showing love to those who are have been affected by this shooting and i think that that's just the best answer you can do for times like this i 
I keep saying it and I'm guilty of it. And I kind of, I talked about this on social media a little bit today and I got into a conversation privately with somebody who I, I, I greatly respect who is an expert on the field of race that I go to mm. on things like this privately. And I was like, you know, I keep saying this and I believe it. Uh, it's not that I don't believe it, that, you know, we don't have the conversations about race that we should have in America, but I, I've kind of come to a realization a little bit of like, it's almost like an advanced course in college. We don't have the prerequisites. People haven't done the required reading. There's not a common basis of knowledge to have a productive conversation about that. Um, and you brought it up before is like, um, I think it was John McWalter said, you know, if it's one side yelling and the other side not saying anything, that's not a conversation. Um, can you can you expand on that just for a second? Because you're another one of those people I go to. And I was like, hey, you know, you tell me how this should go. That's where I'm at it on is like, I don't think we have a common basis. I don't think we even have the right vocabulary to discuss this. I don't think we understand our shared history and how we got here. Am I off base on any of that? No, you're not. I, I think one of the problems um, that we have really is we talk about the word conversation, but in some ways we don't really mean conversation. And I think actually, if we want to get towards uh, and moving forward in towards racial reconciliation, we really have to have a conversation. But a conversation means that each side is probably going to hear things that they don't want to hear. And um, I think that they still have to kind of remain engaged in discussion. Um, this is an issue that is always going to bring a lot of kind of dredge up a lot of bad feelings. And to me, the only way out of this is through it. And to do that, we have to have an honest discussion. And I think, you know, the other part of that is we have to also be able to see each other really as having a shared destiny. Um, we're Americans together. Um, we may come from different walks, but at the basis, we are who we are. And I think one of the problems today is that we act as if um, the other side comes from another planet. And as long as we think that way, we don't think that there is something that grounds us together, we're really just never going to move forward. I wonder, and this is going to be a touchy area, so you stop me if I get too far afield here, okay. but I just want to, I just, I, I got to talk about this, you know, because it's just, um, we, we cover it and we write about it, but we don't talk about it. I know we need to talk about things like great replacement theory. I know we need to address the wide spectrum of prejudice, especially when the prejudice starts turning into out and out racism. I know we need to nip those things in the bud. I almost feel like, especially on social media, we get to where we start talking about things like the theory of it and the ideology of it and the history of it. And we almost use that as a skimming a rock across the pond where it's like, okay, well, we've, we've dressed that and addressed that now. But it's almost like we just use that as a skimming of the layer and we don't actually get into what's going on underneath it because we can go, oh, well, it's this bad theory. And if we just got rid of all the media outlets with all the bad theories, that's going to solve this problem. And I don't think we ever address the fact that, no, this is a human heart problem. This is a broken soul problem. This is beyond legislative and this is beyond policy. That's where my frustration is starting to come with this. Is, is that off base or is that something that's shared by other folks, do you think? No, I think it is. I, I, you know, one of the problems I think has been that we 
see this as solely a political problem. And it's not simply a political problem. And where we see this kind of people engaging in these activities, there's a lot of things going on here. Some of that is economics. Some of that is people who feel disconnected from society. And part of it is also, as you would say, a heart problem. There's this sense of kind of twisted um, ethics and, and twisted emotions. And this is really a time where we need to see other institutions um, stepping up and, and taking apart, um, in, especially in civil society, especially the church um, that need to be able to reach out um, and be able to kind of build bridges, especially with people who may seem like they are very much loners because there had to be, you know, with this shooter, you have to wonder, was someone paying attention to what they were what they were looking at on online? Um, were they someone that had hurt people to talk to? It, it doesn't seem. It seems like we have the society, but we don't really pay attention to one another until something like this happens. And by that time, it's it's almost too late. Yeah, talking to our friend Dennis Saunders. Um... I thought back to some other shootings we had. The Charleston church shooting really always bothers me because he came in and sat down. Like he was there for a while. He talked to those people. He looked. He was there for a Bible study. Yeah, like, like, you know, you know, the, the brokenness to be able to sit there, like, it's one thing to go in and just see people as targets. I I know that's dehumanizing, but I can kind of get my head around that. But like somebody to do something like that, and then you have this individual who, by his own admission, if we take the words that he wrote down um, as fact, and I have no reason to discount them, he took the last two years and purposefully stewed and marinated himself in this hatred stuff. I know everybody wants to go, we need to do something so this never happens again. I don't know that there's a whole lot we can do about that. Because if you've got somebody that just wants to silo themselves off from the world like that, and then they eat up all that hate, and then they make a plan like this. And I know there was the mental health flags that that came down and we can talk about that in a minute. But as far as the radical, the radicalization part of this, where his prejudice turned to outright hatred, which turned into racism, which turned into murderous intent. I, I just don't know that there's a whole lot we can do about that. And, and is it, it's like, it's taboo for us to say, there's not a lot we can do about that, but that's what it feels like. Is that, do you feel differently? I mean, I don't know how you solve that problem. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I agree with you that I, that I don't think that there is one simple solution. I mean, obviously, whenever things like this happen, there are people who say, you know, if we just had better gun laws, this would go away. And I'm not opposed to that, but I don't know if that would be the thing. And, you know, I, I think part of it also is that as, as a society, we're not good at dealing with the problem of evil. Um, And I don't want to go as far as to say that some people are just plain evil, but there are people that engage in evil acts and and we need to kind of of deal with that. There is this thing out there and sometimes it is not so easily solved. There's no way, you know, it's not always a public policy issue 
I don't know if I would go as far as say that there's nothing we can do, but but when you're dealing with something like this, I think it's hard. I think it's very difficult to find something to to do. I'll I'll ask this question as a philosophical question because I kind of know the answer, but I think we need to address it. Why is it that when people, you know, if you don't want to go so far as to say people are evil or inherently evil, although I I believe they can be, let's just say they embrace evil or they've made a decision to be evil. Why does that always seem to manifest with things like race right off the bat? That seems to always be the the bottom of the spiral when people go down that road. Why why is that? Because it's easy to deal with the other. It's easy to try to make the other the bad person, whether that's um, someone who's black, whether it's someone who's gay, that's kind of what it is all about, is that there's something going on with them. They may feel somehow deficient in some way, or things are not going well in their life. And pushing it off towards someone who is different from them is the easiest way to kind of assay, assay your hurt feelings. So I think that's what it's all about. We talk about it all the time on our show. You know, human nature is undefeated. And unfortunately, that's usually in a bad connotation that human nature is undefeated. However, uh, when we were going through the list of the victims here, I was struck by a couple of things. This is a very tight-knit neighborhood. It is a, you know, lower, lower middle class and below neighborhood. They talked about this uh, particular grocery store being, you know, kind of the only grocery store in kind of a food desert. I was struck when they listed the names. Every single one of them uh, went to such and such church. Uh, the one uh, lady, the one of the younger people killed was 32 years old. She was there helping her brother during a bone marrow transplant, just happened to be there for, the, you know, stories like this. We know about the security guard now. Um, again, because you went through this in many, Minneapolis and St. Paul and that area, all the different things that have gone on. Talk about when the news cameras stop, you know, in three months, two months, whenever it is, and the cameras leave. What's the work that has to go into a community to start trying to put it back together after one of these major news events? Because you've lived through that two or three times now in the last few years, unfortunately. Talk about that because that's when the real healing and work of, okay, what's our community after this? That's when that work really starts, isn't it? It is. I think some of it's going to have to be um, mental health care professionals that are going to have to be on hand. Um, part of it is probably doing a lot of honest talk about race because obviously this is not a surprise that it's still a problem. And you know the, the nature of this crime, where someone literally traveled, was it two or three hours to go to do this? Um, that's a deep well of hatred, and so we have to kind of talk about that. And I think that that has to still happen. Um, I think other communities, communities around that area. Um, have to keep checking in, doing whatever, creating relationships maybe with the, with churches in that area, um, because the people who were live in those neighborhoods, um, obviously the the victim, the family of victims, but also people who are um, just living in that community who may have known them or or, or however, are all going to need help for months, if not years. Um, down the road. And I, I think the one thing that 
really does concern me, this might seem weird is, um, and you just talked about it, is what's gonna happen to that supermarket? Um, because a lot of the areas where African-Americans live tend to be food deserts. Um, you know, one of the things that happened here in Minneapolis um, is we had a few um, grocery stores that were um, torched in, in different communities and that did leave literally a food desert um, for a certain amount of time. Uh, one of the um, stores, um, as they were remodeling uh, two of their locations that had been damaged, they um, had buses that would take them to another of their locations nearby. Um, and they also made a, a, a deliberate um, intent to stay in those communities. Um, that's kind of a question I have is I hope that this supermarket chain will, will make a commitment to stay and um, continue to serve that community. Yeah, Tops is, uh, they, we went through the list of the local communities and charities. You can go back on the show notes from Tuesday's show. Uh, we have a links there, uh, charity stuff in that community, directly into that community. It's one of the things Tops said they were running shuttle buses to other, because obviously it's still a crime scene, so they couldn't open it if they yeah. want to. Uh, they were running shuttle buses to other places from there because I think they said something like 80% of the customers there walk there, which is not mm. uncommon in neighborhoods like that. Yeah, so it's a it's great not. point that you raised. Uh, Dennis Saunders joining us. This is a grown folk talk. It's a tough talk, but that's why we bring Dennis on because we can ask these hard questions and try to hash them out. We're going to take a quick break, come back. We'll continue to talk about Buffalo. Also talk about some writing that he did before the Buffalo thing happened uh, based off his you know, why aren't our po politics going towards the big tents? Why are they getting more defined? We know there's money involved and power involved in that, but there's real world consequences of that. Is this one of them? We'll talk about that more with our friend Dennis Saunders on her tell right after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ah, Hertel Show, I'm Andrew Donaldson. That's Dennis Saunders joining us. Uh, had to take a quick break while I went on a rant about other things that aren't fit for air, but that's how we do things. Uh, this is what he does. He listens to me rant, and then he gives me good, wise counsel. You get to share in that today. Uh, to put a bow on the Buffalo uh, massacre before we move on to a few other things, how does it land with you? Because I think part of the problem with situations like this is we have the ability now to have our own select media. We have our own information rotations. We have our own little siphons that we filter information into. This is a big, diverse country. Um, I'm not a black man. You are. I imagine this hits differently for you. I know because you've been in a community like Minneapolis that it definitely hits different because of what y'all been through the last few years. So just tell me so that the audience can hear it and I can hear it. When this happens, what was your reaction to it once we found out what was actually happening here? Well, my first thought was, crap, 
um, this is happening. And, um, you know, when I was uh, um, growing up, my, my dad, who grew up in um, Jim Crow, Louisiana, would always kind of be concerned because um, I, growing up in the 80s in Michigan, I had a lot of friends and uh, went to a Catholic high school. And of course, a lot of the friends were white and um, also had a lot of female um, white friends. And so, you know, we would go out and back in those days, you just kind of, I wasn't thinking about anything dangerous and all that, but he was always concerned. And I think he was always worried because of course he grew up in a time when, you know, obviously people were lynched because they smiled at a white woman. And um, I think that that is the thing that sometimes you live with is, you know, are you at this event or doing this? And could that put you in, um, in danger? Um, those kind of things still exist. And I don't want to make it sound like everything or right you know, to be African-American is always to, to live in fear. That's not the case. But there are those situations where you have to wonder. And I think, especially now, it just seems like we are even more um, divided and there seems to be more um, issues that are trying to, or people that are trying to kind of push kind of racial resentment um, that I think could lead to more events like this. Um, I don't necessarily want to say there's a direct link between the, that, but it's in the air. And my, my fear is that we're going to see other events like this in the future. You've been writing and talking about this. Dennis Saunders joining us. Uh, he's my colleague at Ordinary-Times.com. Has several wonderful podcasts. He does a lot of good stuff. Make sure you're following him and seeking all of those out. Um, it's not directly analogous because this is obviously the, the very worst of the extreme. But you've been talking about how politics has ceased to try to even pretend like they're going to be a big tent. That's, mm -hmm. an, that's another one of those terms like bipartisanship that's just gotten abused to the point that it doesn't mean anything. But just real quick to kind of give us some kind of a positive out of this you know, pretty heavy conversation. What do you mean by a big tent and why is that so important? Because if you're not doing big tents, that's when you start fragmenting. That's when you start uh, balkanizing the electorate, one person said, which you know used to sound like an extreme, but now it's kind of starting to look like it might fit. Uh, just talk about that big tent for just a second and how important it is to get some kind of diversity and inclusion of some type, no matter which side of the political spectrum you fall on. Yeah, I, the concept of a big tent is this belief that there are organizations, whether it's political parties or other groups, where there are people who come from different backgrounds. They, they may all be under one tent. This could be a political party, but they may have slightly different opinions on different things. They may think that, you know, one person may think that it's okay to raise taxes, another person may not. Um, there, there are different people based on even different parts of the country where they come from and how they have to um, deal with things. And so there's a lot of sense of diversity. It's not necessarily always diversity uh, 
in race or, or gender, though it should be, um, but it's also in, in opinions and in how we think and all of that. And so I think years ago, I think both of our political parties were places that were big tents. You know, you had conservative Democrats and liberal Democrats. You had conservative Republicans and liberal Republicans. And you had all of these groups together. And there, in some ways, was always kind of a, of a implicit understanding that, you know, this candidate who is a Republican from Pennsylvania is going to act and, and maybe vote on some things different than a Republican from Arizona. Um, you know, a Democrat from North Carolina may not vote the same way as a Democrat um, in Illinois. And so there was this sense that people were different and that we had to find ways to um, come together. And especially, I think, to kind of meet in some middle where, where people could kind of make um, pragmatic choices and, and can be kind of part of this greater whole, um, even if they don't necessarily fit the prevailing, um, maybe the majority thought in the culture. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get back to that. But at some point, you know, there's a little bit of pendulum theory to life, I, I think it's going to come back at some point where you're, they're just going to have to because the, the margins are just going to get too squeezed, I think. Uh, Dennis Saunders, our very good friend, uh, we always have to talk the heavy stuff with him, but that's why we need his wisdom and guidance. I always appreciate you, my friend. Let folks know what you got going on because you got a couple different podcasts that you're working on now. You do great writing. Uh, we want to make sure folks can find your stuff and your social media. Just run those things down real quick because you got a couple of really good things. You do some stuff on church stuff for folks that want to do that. You mm -hmm. also do some other stuff like your series that you did on Kmart and Sears, which was just fantastic stuff. Uh, let folks know everything you've got going on, my friend. Okay, well, um, first is um, Enroot, which is the podcast that I do um, that focuses on religion and um, modern life, public policy. And you can uh, find that at enrootpodcast, all one word, uh, dot org. Um, the other thing is you can find articles that I've written on Medium, um, and that can be found at uh, Dennis Sanders, all one word, dot uh, medium dot com. And then finally, uh, I've been doing something called um, Church in Maine, which is a Substack letter. Um, and hopefully I will be doing a little bit more writing specifically on kind of where religion and public policy are working. Um, one of the articles I'm hoping to get out this week is one about um, kind of the changing views of Southern Baptists when it came to um, the issue of abortion. Um, and especially kind of where they are right now um, and how far that is from where they were 50 years ago um, when it comes to abortion. So, and then one final thing is you talked about another church podcast is that I am doing one that is called Preparing for Sunday. And um, I'm someone that uh, it's basically a podcast where we look at a verse that's coming up um, Sunday and just basically ask some questions. And so that's kind of all the things that I'm doing right now. Oh, that's it. That's all you're getting done. Yeah. yeah. Slacker. No, you're a hardworking <laughs> dude. We appreciate you. Uh, always appreciate the time. Always appreciate your opinions, my friend, Dennis Saunders, Denman, you'll see his, in, his uh, handle there on the graphic. If you're watching on YouTube and we will link to all those podcasts 
in the show notes. Thank you so much for the time, my friend. Always appreciate you. You're welcome. We'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.